All right, so y'all are here on a rainy Sunday. You lost an hour of sleep. Y'all actually really love God. Uh, thank you for being here. So glad that you uh, have decided to join us this morning. Welcome. My name is Andrew. Uh, we are in the series uh, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, uh, fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, Acts, the church on the move is what we're calling it. We're in week number six, and I'm loving the book of Acts. You know, we see the church on the move, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and just as kind of a reminder, if you've been paying attention, the catalyst for this movement is actually opposition. Opposition is actually pushing the gospel forward. And we'll see that more today in Acts chapter 8. And the source of movement is the Holy Spirit himself. All the way back to Acts chapter 2 and moving throughout the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit moving and moving people and moving the gospel forward. And first we saw Peter and John um, throughout the apostles who are facing opposition. Last week we saw uh, a man named Stephen uh, who was one of the, what I call the Magnificent Seven, all right, the initial seven deacons selected in Acts chapter 6. Stephen, who is full of uh, the Holy Spirit and and boldness and wisdom, and he stands up and preaches the gospel and he's ultimately uh, murdered, executed uh, by the religious uh, Jewish community uh, because of his faith in Christ. And so we see that opposition leading to his death in Acts chapter 6. This week we'll move into Acts chapter 8 where we'll see another uh, faithful servant play his part. His name is Philip. And he is, again, another deacon, one of those magnificent seven. And like the rest of them, he is, as the scriptures describe in Acts 6, full of wisdom, full of spirit and of of wisdom. And Acts chapter 21, verse 8, has this interesting thing to say about Philip. Uh, the, The writer here says, Luke, Dr. Luke says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. So Philip was known as an evangelist, and we'll see why today in Acts chapter 8. So today's sermon is called Philip the Gospel Messenger. Philip the Gospel Messenger. We'll be in Acts chapter 8. Uh, I'm actually really excited about this chapter. Originally, I was not going to be preaching today. It was going to be Jake Garrett, um, but his wife is uh, soon due with uh, baby boy number two, and we thought, hmm, it probably would be a good thing if I took this week in case baby comes early. So, uh, and, and, But part of me thought, well, this is a good chapter to hand off to somebody because it's, it's very transitional, like the really exciting stuff starts to come in chapter 9 um, and, and beyond. And so this will be a good chapter to hand off to Jake. Um, but man, after digging into Acts chapter 8, it's so good and so rich. And so I'm excited and glad that I get the opportunity to preach uh, from Acts chapter 8 today. So we've been calling, as Justin mentioned, calling this year the year of mission, which is all about reaching others with the gospel. It's about living on mission. But the question is, how do we live on mission? What does it look like to live a life of of being on mission? And I would simply define it as being obedient to God. It's being a gospel messenger, a missionary into the culture in which God has placed us. You know, when you look through the book of Acts, you've seen it so far. We're through seven chapters. Um, If you're in the Bible reading plan, you'll be in chapter eight tomorrow. Uh, But we see throughout the book of Acts, it's full of these uh, powerful sermons preached to large crowds, right? It's all these people, thousands of people gathered, Peter, um, you know, preaching the word, Stephen in chapter uh, seven. In fact, uh, Stephen's last week, the reason we didn't cover that in the sermon was because it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Uh, It's pretty lengthy. Uh, But you see all of these powerful sermons to large crowds. Um, 
And, and, and our objection, if we look at these first seven chapters and go, okay, this is what it looks like to be on mission, is to preach powerful sermons to large crowds. Most of us in this room, dare I say, um, almost all of us would say, well, that's, I'm out. All right, that's not my cup of tea. Do not put me in front of a group of people and let me open my mouth because it will not turn out good, right? Um, most of us say, if that's what it looks like to be on mission, then we'll save it for the apostles and the pastors and those professional people. Um, but what Philip's story, Philip's story shows us in Acts chapter 8 is it's not about big crowds and, and bold sermons. It's really about faithful obedience to the Holy Spirit. It's about faithful obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because from the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus sent his spirit to fill us, to empower us, to help us, that he would be the one who would do the heavy lifting. So our responsibility is simply to be willing and able, actually not even able, it's more willing and available for him to use us because God calls all of us to be evangelists, to be ones who spread the good news, who speak the good news of Jesus. Not the, uh, like the traveling preacher kind, if you've, if you've seen the old school evangelists that travel around and preach. I'm not talking about that kind of evangelist. I'm talking about everyday gospel messengers. That's what he has called us to be. And we'll see an example of that through the life of Philip in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up with me and let's look at it together. Acts chapter 8 um, will be mainly landing in verses 26 through 40. But y'all, I cannot skip chapter or verses 1 through 25. There's so much in there that we need to we need to see and we need to be aware of. So I just want to take a few minutes to uh, kind of bullet point through a few things that we see in the first part of chapter eight before we get into where we're going to land for the morning. So here, here's one thing that we see from the very start is that opposition scatters the people and spreads the gospel. Opposition scatters the people and then spreads the gospel. So Acts chapter eight, starting in verse number one, we'll just read these first four verses. It says in Saul, remember we ended verse chapter 7 with Stephen being stoned, the garments um, laid at the feet of a man named Saul. Chapter 8 verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And this really caught my attention because we've already seen opposition, intense opposition and persecution. And yet here it says that day there arose a great persecution against the church and so, man, it intensified at this point so much that it says they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the persecution intensified so much that it's pushing them out. They're like running for their lives, leaving Jerusalem into the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles stayed behind. Verse number two, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, verse 4, there, uh, those who were scattered went about preaching 
the word. And so we see at the heart of this opposition, this, this man named Saul who is persecuting the church, ravaging the church, it says. He's going house to house, dragging men and women, Christians out of their homes to put them in prison because of their faith. And, and this continues to ramp up. But in verse number four, it says something in particular. It says that the, the word gets spread. That as the people are scattered, the word gets spread. But it's not through the apostles. All right, it's not through the professional Christians. It's through those who were scattered. This is the normal, everyday disciples of Jesus who are getting pushed out of, of their, their home because of the persecution. But what God always does is he uses things for good. He writes everything, works it all together for good. And so they're pushed out of their, their home, Jerusalem, but the gospel begins to spread. Let me read you this quote from the Believer's Bible Commentary. It says this, The winds of affliction were scattering the seeds of the gospel to distant places. And who could estimate the extent of the harvest? And so we look at this opposition that's, that's forcing them out of their home, and yet God uses the opposition and the persecution to spread the good news of the gospel. And we see that again. Here's the second thing we see is that Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled. Y'all remember Acts 1-8, uh, first, very first week. It's really the key text for this whole book of Acts. It says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, his apostles, he says this. He says, wait here in Jerusalem. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to empower you to be my witnesses. And then you're going to start right here in Jerusalem. And then it's going to go out. It's going to extend out into Judea and Samaria all the way to the ends of the earth. And what's happening in Acts chapter 8 is Acts, Acts 1-8 is beginning to become fulfilled. Because if you look back at it, go back to verse number 1. Saul is, is there approving the execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout what regions? The regions of Judea and Samaria. If you drop down to verse number five, it says this. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. You drop all the way down to verse number 25. It says this. Now, when they had testified, speaking of the apostles and, and Philip, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so Acts 1.8 is starting to be fulfilled, where the gospel is moving out of Jerusalem. Now it's moving into Judea, Samaria, and then from there it will go to the ends of the earth. And so God is doing his thing here in Acts chapter 8 amidst the persecution. Here's a third thing that we see in these first 25 verses. The gospel in word and deed brings joy to a city. The gospel in word and deed, not just preached, but we see the signs and the wonders, all these things accompanying the word. It's, it brings joy to a city. So verse number 5, we saw this already, but Philip went down to the city of Samaria Proclaim to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. So they hear him and they see the deeds. 
Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse number 8, I love this, just one little sentence, this one little phrase. It says, so there was much what? Joy in that city. And so what this tells us is, is that whenever God visits a person or a home or a church or a city, when God visits, he always brings joy. And that's what I love about where we are at as a church, that the culture of our church, I would describe as a culture of joy. I hear every single week that when people come in, they're, they're feeling so loved and accepted and welcomed in the hospitality. Man, they, they sense the presence of God here. Because when you prioritize the gospel, you will experience a culture of joy and freedom. And, and this is what we see in, in Acts chapter 8, that the gospel goes out in word and deed and it brings joy to that city. Here's another story that we won't have time to touch on, but there's a guy named Simon, Simon the magician. Uh, and you'll read a story if you're in the Bible reading plan tomorrow, verses 9 through 25. Uh, so Simon is, is all about the magic tricks and the magic show. And it says that everyone was amazed by his magic. It said that all paid attention to him. All right, he was doing these miraculous, seemingly miraculous things. But here comes Philip. Philip preaches the gospel, and it says that Simon listens. He hears the gospel. He makes even a profession of faith. I believe. And then it says he's baptized, and he begins to follow Philip. But then as you work your way through his story, you start listening to his words, and you start seeing the fruit of his life, and you go, hmm. I don't know about this guy. It doesn't seem legit. And then Peter comes along and says some incredibly uh, pointed things at him. And what you discover is that though he made a profession of faith, it was not true repentance. You don't see the fruit of repentance in his life. And so this is just a reminder. Maybe some of y'all have never thought about this, but not everyone who professes Christ actually possesses Christ. All right, not everybody that says I'm a Christian, not everybody that says I go to church, not everybody that says uh, I, like, I love God necessarily possesses a relationship with Christ. So don't assume anything, all right? Um, because Simon's story is, is classic here. So moving beyond the story of Simon, we, this last part here that we see is what, what we would call the Samaritan Pentecost. Okay, so let me take a moment to read this. I just think theologically this is so important for you to understand what's happening here. So verses 14 to 17, it says this. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, okay, two of these, these primary apostles, so Jerusalem, they hear Samaria's received the word. They send Peter and John to kind of check it out, to scope out the scene. It says, verse 15, uh, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So if, you, if you've been paying attention, if you've been tracking with us, you might go, wait, 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 wait. I thought the Holy Spirit came in, in Acts chapter 2. Like the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and, and filled them and, and dwelt them for the first time. So what's going on here in Samaria where it says they didn't have the Holy Spirit. He hadn't fallen yet on them. And the apostles come and they pray over them, lay hands on them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. So what is going on here? So 
Remember, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, if you've been with us, the book of Acts is a, a history book. So it's describing some events, but it's not necessarily prescribing the way things ought to go. And it's also transitional, which means there's a lot of transitionings happen, happening here. These aren't things that say this is how it's always going to be. So we have this moment here that is a historical moment of transition, where the gospel is now going from Jerusalem and from the Jews only. Now it's extending to Judea and Samaria and then we'll eventually move to the Gentiles and all the earth. So there's a big moment happening here. Okay, Samaritans, uh, they were known as, they would call them half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. So Jews didn't like them. Gentiles just didn't like them because they were half and half. I would relate because I am a half-breed. If you don't know, I'm half-Asian, half-American. So I'm like, oh, I identify with the Samaritans. You know what I'm saying? But nobody liked them. They despised them. And so the fact that that the gospel, the good news of God, that God loves them and has died to save them, this is now reaching the Samaritans and is including them into the church of God, like they can actually be a part of, of God's family. Yes, this is what is taking place. And this is why the apostles are, are coming here and they're verifying this is, this is God moving and this is the Holy Spirit now falling upon the Samaritans. And so this is what we would call the Samaritan Pentecost. We don't see this scene replicated anywhere else. In fact, you have to understand this because modern day preachers could take this text and have taken it and said, whoa, 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 in order for you to have the Holy Spirit, you need me to pray over you and lay my hands upon you in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you ever hear that from a preacher, you can call BS on them, all right? Or bull, you know, dung, okay? That's what you can call on them, all right? That's not what the scriptures teach, okay? And you can call them on that. It, you're not gonna get the Holy Spirit because I pray over you or lay my hands upon you. God gives his spirit. But at this moment in history, God is doing something different. He's transitioning. He's giving the gospel. The gospel is going to the, the Samaritans and to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit is now falling upon them. Okay, so I felt like you've gotta understand that because if you don't understand the context, you don't understand the story, you can fall prey to any kind of twisting of the scriptures, all right? So those are some things that I felt like we had to cover before we get to the good stuff. It's all good. It's all really good, but we're going to camp out in verses 26 through 40. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and really this is, this is, oh, this is kind of a, a master class. It's very basic and simple, but this is really a master class in how to live on mission, how to share the gospel with others. Because most of us, if we're being honest, if we know Jesus, we know we're supposed to tell others about Jesus, that's an intimidating uh, prospect to talk to people about spiritual stuff, to talk about their eternity, to talk about their souls and their need for Christ. Uh, but Philip, uh, we see some really practical things I think that we can learn from from Philip here. But you need to see, like, we're moving from these first seven chapters, which has been very public, all these crowds gathered to hear the word. And now we're transitioning to this one-on-one -on -one encounter that Philip has with this Ethiopian eunuch, this, this uh, high-ranking official. And so I want you to just pay attention, pay close attention to this entire scene and how this plays out. And we're just going to point out six basic things that we see from from Philip in the story. So 
Acts chapter 8, starting in verse number 26, it says this. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27, And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So he's kind of like a, uh, you know, part of her cabinet, like maybe the minister of the treasury is, is what this Ethiopian eunuch is. It says he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. This is out of Isaiah 53. He says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear, it's silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, you all know who, who Isaiah is pointing to in that moment? It's, it's Jesus. It's the suffering servant. And this is the passage that the, the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading. And he doesn't understand it. Verse number 34. So the eunuch said to, to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or about somebody else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And I want to pause there for a second. Um, how many of you... Um, uh, well, I won't ask that question because not all of you have a physical Bible. If you've got a physical Bible, some of you, if you're reading along or maybe you're in an app and you're reading, um, most of you probably go from verse 36. Look at verse number 37. Some of you are like, wait a second, where is it? Right? Most of your translations don't have verse 37. Um, if you're reading the King James or the New King James, you'll have verse 37 inserted in there. Let me read it to you. Uh, what it says is this. It says, then Philip said, if you believe, he asked, okay, what, what prevents me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So you might say, well, why does, why does my Bible drop verse 37? Well, here's, here's just like the simple answer. Our English translation was translated from Greek, many Greek manuscripts. Most of those major documents that, that our Bible was translated from do not include verse 37. All right, it's not left out because it, it uh, doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. It very much does. You have to believe in Christ, um, and then you can be baptized to express your faith. Um, but that is the reason it's not included in there, because most of the manuscripts don't include it. All right, so what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, so Philip says, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip in the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself uh, at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, so let's just see real quick six basic things here about how to live 
on mission. Y'all, these are so simple, but if we pay attention to these and we actually practice and follow the example of Philip, man, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll help us in our gospel witness. First thing we see is this. The Spirit said go, and he obeyed. The Spirit said go, and he obeyed. So if you go back to verse 26, and if you just pay attention to the language here, verse 26, it's an angel of the Lord speaking to Philip, and here's his instruction. Rise and go toward the south to this road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Rise and go. Verse number 27, what did he do? He rose and what? He went, he rose and he went. There's no delay, there's no question, there's no conversation. He says, get up and go. He got up and went, right? Verse number 29, same thing, a second time. He comes to this uh, Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot and the spirit, verse 29, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Verse 30, so Philip walked over to him. No, what did he do? Philip ran. Man, he hightailed it over. He didn't like... He didn't take a moment to go, mm, are you sure you want me to go do this? Is this guy, uh, he's a high-ranking court official. You want me? No, get up and go. He ran to join him. And so you see this obedience. When the Spirit spoke, when the Spirit moved, Philip obeyed. And now, you got to think about the situation, too, because Philip was in Samaria, right? He preached the gospel. He's, he's seeing scores of people, this whole new ethnic group. The gospel has crossed ethnic boundaries at this point, and the people are hearing the gospel. They're, they're responding to the word of God. They're being baptized. And so there's this like Samaritan revival going on. And God says to Philip, okay, I want you to get up and I want you to go from this, this revival, and I want you to go to that, that road on the way from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's it's out in the desert somewhere, right? So think about this situation for a second. Like, like, God, all the action is going on back in Samaria. Now you're calling me to go to like out in the desert in the middle of, of nowhere? Well, here's what God was doing. God was setting up, God had set up a divine appointment. He set up this 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 opportune meeting where Philip is just going to be out in the middle of nowhere on this road in the desert. And there happens to be a man traveling who is reading the book of Isaiah. He's literally reading the Bible and going, I don't understand this. Would somebody teach me what this means? And here comes Philip who was like, uh, actually, I know what this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus. And he gives him this opportunity, but it's because God set up this divine appointment and all Philip had to do was, when the Spirit said go, to obey. So here is the, the very first thing that we see is he, he responds to the Spirit. He obeys the Spirit. Here's, here's the next thing that we see that he does. He started with questions. He started with questions. He, he comes to him and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I hear that you're reading from the book of Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And this is so helpful when it comes to our conversations with others, that we lead with questions, that we listen, we ask questions. We're not there primarily to make statements and to make declarations. Man, we, we take the posture of a student, of a learner before we become a teacher, before we lecture them and we present something to them. Because really, here's the goal. The goal is to have gospel conversations not to make gospel presentations. Y'all know what I mean? 
we want to be able to present the gospel to them, but our goal isn't to come into a conversation and go, okay, I've got to lay down like this whole path to get to Jesus. No, no, you just want to open up gospel conversations that lead to you being able to talk about Jesus. And that starts with listening. That starts with asking questions. Hey, do you, do you understand this? Do you get this? All right, so he asks question. That's super important. Here's the third thing that he does. He waited for an invitation. He waited for an invitation. Verse number 31, he says, well, how can I? How can I understand it unless someone guides me? Which, by the way, for someone to come to Christ, they're always going to need a guide. They're always going to need someone to lead them, to teach them, to help them understand. In fact, Romans 10, actually, let me just bounce over to Romans 10. It says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach <clears throat> unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so if anybody is going to come to Christ, they need a guide, a teacher. And so <clears throat> the eunuch says, how am, I, how am I going to understand this unless someone teaches me, unless someone guides me? This next phrase, here it is. <clears throat> and he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. He invited Philip to come near. It wasn't forced. Y'all, this is so important that, that we wait for people to invite us into a conversation. We wait for people to invite us to communicate Christ to them. And, and can, I, can I just say this? When somebody talks to you and expresses a need or a deep hurt, that is always an invitation for you to present to them or to point them to the one who can heal their brokenness. But we don't, we don't want to force it. We don't want to cram Jesus down people's throat. But we wait for an invitation. When somebody is hurting, when there is brokenness you hear, which literally could, you could hear probably in almost every conversation you hear, it's an invitation. Wait for an invitation. So, the Spirit said go. He obeyed. He started with questions. He waited for an invitation. And then a fourth thing, and this is, again, so simple. He opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. Look at verse number 35. Very simple words here. It says, then Philip, what? Opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. And we talked about this before that, you know, when it comes to the gospel, we want to we want to give the gospel in word and in deed. We want to speak words, but we want, to, we want to portray the goodness of God, the grace of God through our actions, through our deeds. But people need more than to see us live out the gospel. They need more than a gospel demonstration. They need to see the gospel demonstrated, but they need a gospel explanation. They need someone to connect the dots for them. They need to understand who was behind all of this, that it's Jesus. He opened his mouth. He connected the dots. He, this leads to the fifth thing. He opened his mouth and he led them from where he was to Jesus. He took them from where he was to Jesus. Verse 35, it says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, it's so simple here. It, and it, it actually plays to Philip's benefit because the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, which is literally all about Jesus. So it wasn't a far leap to go from that to Jesus. But he took him from where he was to where he needed to be. He took him from where he was 
to Jesus. This is like in our conversations when if your agenda is only to, to give them a gospel presentation, if somebody tells you about a hurt they're, they're experiencing and you listen to them pour out their heart <clears throat> and then you all of a sudden go, well, have you ever read the book of Romans? Romans 3 says this and you jump into a gospel presentation and they go, what? This is... What are you talking about? But if you listen and you ask questions, you wait for an invitation and you begin to take them from where they're at in the middle of their hurt, the middle of their brokenness, and you lead them from where they are and start pointing them towards Jesus. This is what they need. This is what they need. They need not just a good friend to listen to them. They need someone to open their mouth and lead them from where they're at, from their brokenness, to Jesus, the only one who can come around them and with his presence begin to heal them and, and, and meet the, the deep needs of their soul. You know, I think about Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of my heroes, you know, great old Baptist preacher of old. And one of the things he said, and most preachers know this, this quote from Charles Spurgeon, he's referring to when he would preach the Bible. He says, I take my text <clears throat> and I make a beeline for the cross. Like whatever I'm, I just know wherever I'm at in the scripture, it, all of scripture points to Jesus. And so whatever text I'm dealing with in the Bible, man, I want to take that. I want to explain it, but I want to, I want to take him to the gospel. I want him to know the person and the work of, of Jesus. Um, you know what a beeline is? Uh, this is one of those words. I'm like, I use that word, but what, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? It's a little learning moment for me. You know what? You know what a beeline is? It's like go directly, point A to point B, right? Go directly towards someone or, or something. Um, but, you know, one of the things I saw, and this should make sense, but a bee, when it's done feeding, okay, it goes straight back to its hive, like no meandering, no wasting time. Like it's going from point A to point B, right? And this is what Charles Spurgeon would say. Like when, I'm in, when I take this, the text, I want to point right to Jesus, because everything needs to point to Jesus. Let me read you this other quote by Tony Morita. He says this, The Ethiopian man needed more than a friend in his chariot. He needed an encounter with someone who could explain the truth of the gospel with the Spirit's help. To be faithful witnesses, we need the Spirit, and we need a good grasp on the Word. Philip was not only prayed up, he was also studied up. And so some of us, we freak out a little bit because we're like, if somebody has a need, uh, I don't know how to direct them because I don't know the Bible. Well, that's, this ought to be motivation and encouragement to study more and more. Um, but you don't have to know the whole Bible in order to point somebody to Jesus. But you do have to understand the gospel, the gospel story. So I want to point you to this. Uh, hopefully uh, you all will pick up some of these invites for Easter. Um, but there is also out there on this table, these, just these little cards, and it's about the story. You all hear me talk about this. Even last week I talked about the four parts of the gospel story. Uh, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. It is the storyline of God. It's how God is doing his redemptive work in the world and how he invites us into this story. If you understand the story, you understand who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he invites us into, you can point people 
to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you all. It's, it's online, friendshipwire.com story. Uh, you can look under the resources uh, tab there and find that as well or grab one of these. Uh, there is an app for this also. There's an app for everything, right? So there's an app for this. Uh, I, I promote that so much because if you just understand the storyline of God and the story that God is inviting people into, you can take somebody from where they're at, their part in the story, which is probably in the fall the brokenness, they need redemption. They need rescue. And you can help people in that. And so he led him from where he was to Jesus. Here's a final thing that I just want to mention. Last thing, after expressing faith in Christ, he was baptized. And we, we see this happen. He says, hey, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized? He's put his faith in Jesus. And so he, he gets immersed. By the way, this is a good uh, picture and a good um, example of baptism by immersion. I mention this because you don't see Philip sprinkle water on the eunuch, right? Every time you see it, you, you see no sprinkling in the Bible at all. It's only immersion, which means immerse or to like submerge into water because it's a picture of our death, death to sin, death to our old way of life, and then coming up out of the water is resurrection to this new way of life that Jesus has purchased for us. And this is what happens. He baptizes this eunuch to put on display the faith he has in Christ. And I want to remind you, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, Jesus with his disciples, he said this. He said, hey, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Listen, our mission isn't just to get people to Christ. Our mission is to help people grow in Christ and follow him and obey everything that he has to say. And baptism is really just the first step, putting our faith on display. It's not enough to just say, hey, let me give you Jesus. It's no, let me come alongside you and help you to grow in this relationship with God. That is the call to every disciple is make disciples. And this is what we see in Philip. So it's a, an incredible story. So Philip, the spirit, spirit said go. He obeyed. He started with questions. He waited for an invitation. He opened his mouth. He took him from where he was to Jesus. And after he placed, the Ethiopian eunuch placed his faith in Christ, he, he followed through and he baptized him. So pretty, pretty incredible, but really, really simple story that we can learn so much from. And so let me, let me kind of wrap this up into two big points of application. Like, how does this apply to us? Hopefully, you've already seen a lot of application when it comes to, like, how to approach sharing the gospel. But, but let me just kind of wrap it up in two big thoughts. Here's the first one. <clears throat> Living on mission is a matter of the spirit moving and you obeying. If we're really going to boil it all down to our lives, how this applies to how we live our lives, how we live on mission, it's all about the spirit moving. And when the spirit moves, we obey. Let me bring you back to verses 26 and 27, 29 and 30. He said, rise and go. And he what? Rose and went. Go over and join this chariot. chariot. So Philip ran to him. There was not, there was, listen, 
there was no delay. There was no arguing. If you were in the Bible reading plan, you may have read the story last, the last week of, of Moses when God calls him to go. You know what Moses does? He, he's not the greatest example because Moses is like, uh, are you sure you got the right guy? I don't even, I stumble over my words. He's like argues and like is debating God so much so that God's like, man, he is, he's angry. He's ready to just like blink uh, with Moses. But Philip is like, rise and go. Yes, sir. And he's off. And he's off to the races to obey God. He is so quick to obey. Y'all, in our lives, if we're going to live on mission, it is so simple as this. When God moves, when God says, do this, we don't debate, we don't question, we don't express our concerns, we obey, we listen. Because here's the deal. I'm convinced that if you and I, if we, if we did more of this, that when God moves, when, when God says, hey, talk to this person, pray with this person, serve this, help this person. If, if I were, if we were quicker to obey the spirit rather than going, mm-hmm, somebody else will get to that. Somebody else is more qualified. If we would be more intentional to hear the spirit and obey the spirit of God. I believe we would experience more and more divine appointments that God has for us, that God would use us to do things that we could never orchestrate, we could never force, but we would just obey and go where he calls us. Y'all, this really could take the pressure off of every single one of us. We feel the pressure to like, I gotta, I'm supposed to live on mission, I'm supposed to share the gospel, I'm supposed to be an evangelist. Well, if you just wait until the Spirit prompts you and obey him, Listen to him. He will, he will set up appointments that you could never, ever set up on your own. You could never manufacture. But we've got to be listening and aware and obedient when he calls us to go, when he calls us to move. <clears throat> here's, here's a second. <clears throat> second and final. <clears throat> the enemy is trying to keep me from <clears throat> getting this. Let me... He doesn't want me to say this last thing, I'm telling you. This is for you. This is for you. You have no idea how God might use you if you would just obey. When you just obey, how he will use you. Look back at verse 39. Look at what it says. <clears throat> when they came up out of the water, okay, this is immersion. They submerge them in water. They come up. This is such an interesting thing that you may have missed. I missed it. As soon as they, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. What? <laughs> we were reading this in staff meeting and Andrew Poston is like, I just got to know what's going on here. Is this like divine teleportation? Like he's just there and then he's gone. Like, can you imagine getting baptized by someone speaking of? There he is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just <laughs> had to point him out. So he wanted me to make sure I hit the teleportation portion of this passage. But it's like, can you imagine somebody baptizing you and the moment you come up, like, boom, he's gone, like disappeared. Like, where did he go? He's just vanished. And I don't have any, like, cool theological explanation for you. I have no clue. God seems to do things, you know, whatever he jolly well pleases and whenever he wants to, right? So all of a sudden, Philip is gone. But, but, but here's, here's what I take away from this. Like, this just proves that this whole, this whole scenario wasn't about Philip. 
it wasn't about Philip because he was there one moment and literally like, boom, he's gone the next. And this, this eunuch wasn't going like, where did he go? Where's the guy that preached the gospel to me that baptized me? No, it, you see what it says? It says he went on his way doing what? Just rejoicing. He was happy as a clam. He didn't care who preached the gospel to him, who baptized him. He just went away rejoicing. Why? Because God, when God visits, he brings joy. And he walks away rejoicing. This wasn't about Philip. God used him. God set up this divine appointment. He popped into this man's life for a moment, and then he was gone. And this is how God works. Sometimes God just shows up in a moment and uses someone. God could do that with you and somebody else's life. But there's something else that's really cool wrapped up in this that maybe isn't explicitly said in the text. But remember where this this eunuch, where was he from? Ethiopia, right? Ethiopia in Africa. Remember the gospel is going from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And, and, and most Bible believers would uh, acknowledge or, or believe that this Ethiopian eunuch who has heard the good news of Jesus, who has responded to the gospel in, in faith, would go on his way rejoicing, but he would end up back home. And along with him, he would take what? The gospel. That he would take the gospel into Africa for the first time ever. And y'all, this is all a result of one man, Philip, who just obeyed God. When God said, get up and go, he went. And because of this one man's obedience to God, God got the gospel to a whole continent. Y'all, you never, ever, ever may know how God may use your simple, faithful obedience to God. It may be when God speaks and you respond in obedience, worst case scenario, at the very least, he's stretching and flexing your like faith muscle and maybe you grow a little bit more in your faith. But maybe, just maybe, it could be the start of a great work of God because you simply said, yes, God, I'll go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. No questions asked, no debating, no delay. I'll obey. You, you may never know what God will do with your simple obedience. And so I look at Acts chapter eight and I'm so encouraged. I love this book because it's, it is about the acts of the apostles. They certainly played the significant foundational part in the church growing in the gospel going forth, but it's really, it's not about the apostles. It's, it's about regular everyday believers filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used by God to take the gospel out. Living on mission is simply being open and available to the Spirit. And so Acts chapter eight is our call to live as everyday, Spirit-filled gospel messengers. This is our call to live as everyday, spirit-filled gospel messengers. Amen. And so God, this morning, thank you for what we have seen in your word. Thank you that this good news has come to us because of the obedience of those who've come before us, who have carried the message forth, who have been obedient to your call to go. And God, I pray that you would just in 
in this moment remind us of, of our responsibility just to not carry the weight of the world, not try to save everybody. God, our responsibility is to listen as you call us and to obey, to go when you tell us to get up, to move when you tell us to move, to run, not walk in obedience to you because you want to use us. You have divine appointments set up to use us to speak good news to people, to draw people out of brokenness, to draw people out of darkness, to draw people out of hopelessness into the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And so God, I pray that you would help us to live in that kind of a way, just obedient, listening, and responding as you call us. We just make ourselves open and available, even this week. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room today or listening, or God, anybody that we may encounter in our lives this week that needs you, maybe they're like the Ethiopian eunuch who said, I don't understand this, but I need help. Would somebody help me? Would somebody guide me? Would somebody show me the way? God, would you give us those opportunities for gospel conversations? And would you fill us with your spirit as we yield ourselves to you? God, I want to I see you use us to save people, to bring people to Christ. And so I'm asking that you do that, that you would help us to live and lean into this calling that you've given us, that we would lean into this identity that you've given us as everyday spirit-filled gospel messengers. It's for the glory of your name that we, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.